You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So, Psalm 1. Psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you uh, go to the Lord with me in prayer? Father, um, when we read this psalm, and we hear this contrast between the lifestyle of a godly person who fears you and loves you, and this other lifestyle of a wicked person who does not love you and does not fear you and does not walk with you. Or we hear that contrast and we see that picture now, and, and I pray, Father, that you would come, and through that contrast, through that picture, God, I pray that you would do work in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would reveal uh, places of our hearts and our souls where we have been walking and living as a wicked person. I pray, Father, that you would come and confront us in those places and challenge us in those places. I pray, God, that you would invite us back into your presence from those places. That you would call us away from wickedness into godliness. And that you would cause a work of transformation to happen in our hearts this morning, whereby you would cleanse us and clean us through the preaching of your word, through the work of your son Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, and that you would remind us that there is but one person who did list perfectly, and that was Jesus, and he gave his life at the cross for us. So come now, Father, help us to begin here in this text and make a beeline straight for the cross and to rest there the finished work of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. One of the questions that uh, I often love to ask myself um, is, who do I want to be in 10 years? It's a question that I love to ask. I'm I'm a bit of a forward-thinking person. Who do I want to be in 10 years? What kind of a person do I want to be? What kind of character do I uh, want to be known for? Um, And what do I need to do right now to set the ship of my life sailing in that direction? Um, I like to call this vision-driven assessment. Catch a picture where you want to be and who you want to be, and you assess now, set goals. That kind of uh, vision-driven assessment of my life, whenever I stop and begin to ask myself those questions, 
can oftentimes be very hard and also be very exciting at the same time. I want to live a good life, as I imagine most of you do too. I want to leave a godly legacy. I want to please the Lord with my life. But what happens in the moment is when I ask those questions, as I take stock of my life, what I typically find is I find that I have shortcomings. I have weaknesses. I have blind spots. That realization then um, creates within me what I would like to call a holy tension. It's a holy tension between how I am right now and how I want to be in the future. And the Psalms are really an excellent place to live in that kind of a holy tension. The Psalms are a gold mine of precious truths that are really set against the backdrop of human experience and human emotion. That they are a collection of individual poems, individual songs that were written over a period of about a thousand years in Israel's history. And uh, they've been the main staple um, of, of my spiritual diet um, for roughly 19 years or more. Likewise, in many Christians' lives, the Psalms um, are a main staple of our spiritual diet. There are many people who have testified to the power of the Psalms in their lives as a comfort, as an encouragement, as a challenge. In Psalms, we find um, instructions for living the godly life. Uh, We find warnings for avoiding sin, wickedness, and rebellion. We find comfort for life's most troubling circumstances. The Psalms um, literally engage not just our minds with a bunch of doctrinal point-by-point teaching. Um, The Psalms actually engage our emotions and our feelings, and our, and our affections. And then by doing that, they, they also affect and engage our lifestyles, the things that we do, the way that we actually live. The, the Psalms are, are unique in the way that they're written. The writers of the Psalms, if you read through them, um, they don't pull their punches. I've said in the last week a few times to a few people that, Really, as you read through the Psalms, um, in, in my mind, uh, the Psalms are similar to the book of James in the New Testament. But the book of James is pretty raw, it's pretty in-your-face, pretty straightforward, pretty black-white. Um, James doesn't pull punches when he talks about sin. Psalms do this in a very raw and honest way. Okay? They, they don't pull their punches, they don't lighten the language to appease our modern sensibilities. They don't shy away from describing the brokenness and the painful complexity of um, the human experience in light of the faithfulness and majesty of God. God as king, ruler, supreme ruler of all things in the midst of every circumstance you could face is really One of the major themes, if not maybe the major theme all throughout the Psalms, continuously coming back to that. Yes, this life sucks. Our God is great. 
The psalm that we're saying today, Psalm 1, um, it really sets the tone uh, for all of the other 149 psalms. Most commentators would say that this is historically known as the introduction psalm. So if you think about the introduction to a movie or the introduction to a good book, that introduction helps to set the tone, the way it's going to feel, the things that the psalmists are going to talk about. And this psalm itself... um, It's not light and fluffy. It's not rainbows and unicorns. I think that we as Christians, maybe more so in the West uh, than in other places, have a tendency to focus on the light and fluffy things of this psalm, blessed is the man, and how can I be blessed. Um, And we kind of minimize the other half of the psalm by doing so. The psalmist here doesn't gloss over anything, takes a good, cold, hard look at the contrast, a very even-handed look at the contrast between a godly person on the one hand and a wicked person on the other. Doesn't gloss over the description of the miserable life that is produced by wickedness, sin, rebellion. But also, at the same time, the psalmist also speaks with absolute clarity in regards to the blessed life of a godly person who loves God's word and pursues righteousness at all costs. There are really basically two things that the psalmist says that we're going to work through over the next few moments. The first thing that we see that the psalmist says in verses 1 through 3 is that the godly person is blessed. Simple as that. The godly person is blessed. This description that the psalmist paints here is not really the description that you might expect in today's age of social media. Not the portrait of the godly person that is painted by so many of our social media feeds today. Okay? It's not the picture of someone who is concerned with all of the ungodliness that is out there. This picture in Psalm 1, it's a picture of someone who is concerned with godliness right here inside of me. He doesn't fight sin out there. He fights sin within. He's not mastering God's word out there. God's word is actually mastering him within. He's not a wild rebel who thinks he's in control of his own growth. He's a carefully cultivated tree with deep roots of strength and fruitfulness. This is the portrait of a godly person who has a blessed life. But why? Why does this man have a blessed life? What makes him so godly? Number one, the godly person is blessed because he turns away from sin. Plain and simple. He's blessed because he turns away from sin. Verse 1, psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But the truth is this. Wicked people go from bad to worse. Godly people go from bad to better. Wicked people start out walking with other wicked people. After a while, after they walk with wicked people, they take a stand with those wicked people. And they stand in the wickedness of their wicked people. 
And then the next progression after walking with them for a while, making friends with them for a while, then taking a stand with them on some issues for a while, then the very next thing that you see in the progression of this psalm is that they actually just sit right down in the filth of their wickedness as they laugh at godliness with other wicked people. That's the picture. The godly person does not do this. The godly person does not walk and does not stand and does not sit in the filth of wickedness or sin or mockery of what God says is good. Godly people walk away from wickedness. They run away from wickedness like Joseph. Godly people take a stand against sin in their own lives. And they take a stand against evil in the world. They don't laugh and joke about the things that God calls evil. They turn away from sin. They don't make friends with sin. They don't call evil good, and they don't call good evil. That's a godly person. A godly person is blessed because he turns away from sin. The godly person is also blessed because he enjoys God's word. Right? Blessed because he enjoys God's word. Verse 2, the psalmist says that the godly person's delight He's in the law of the Lord. I don't know how many of you delight when you see speed limit signs. There's a few of us in our family that don't. (laughs) Delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. As I said before, this isn't about mastering God's word. It's about being mastered by God's word. But the godly person has these emotions, these affections, these desires that actually delight, enjoy, overjoyed with God's word. God's word actually captivates this person's mind. This person is is constantly chattering with God's word throughout the day and the night, much like a computer program chattering in the background that's the kind of enjoyment the psalmist is talking about this kind of person doesn't just open God's word for 15 minutes of morning devotion this kind of godly person hears and reads and studies and memorizes and chews on God's word throughout the day because it brings him joy you catch this old navigator's uh, ministry picture with me. Just grab your Bibles if you have one and hold on to it. Okay, Grab, do it. Do it, come on. Okay, very good. Now, um, the old navigator's picture is a picture with five words, four on each finger, one on the thumb. And the picture is, first finger is that they, got to find my list, sorry, give me a second because I don't have this down by heart. The picture is that they read. Finger one, they hear. Finger two, they study. Finger three, they meditate. Finger four, they memorize. Finger five, right? I just want you to do this. Everybody just like try to hold your Bible with one finger from it. Don't do that because you're all going to drop them. The picture is, is you need to keep your hand on God's Word. So if you're not hearing it, if you're not studying it, if you're not reading it, if you're not memorizing it, and if you're not, what's the last one? meditating on it, thank you. What's going to happen? You're going to get your hand off of God's Word. You're not going to enjoy God's Word. You're not going to keep a hold of it. What's going to happen when you let go of God's Word? You're going to grab onto something else. 
Because our hands were created by the Creator to hold on to His Word. You go back to the Garden of Eden, that is the picture that you see there is Adam and Eve not clinging to God's Word. They let go of His Word and in a very small, very slight deceptive way began to believe something that God had actually never said. God never said, don't touch the tree. He said, don't eat it with the fruit. And Eve got it wrong, so did Adam. Added to it because they had not held on to God's Word. So that's the picture we see here. As a godly person is blessed because he enjoys God's Word. He hears it, he reads it, he studies it, memorizes it, chews on it, or meditates. That's the picture of meditating, is to chew on something. Third reason that a godly person is blessed is because God plants him. God plants him. Verse 3, psalmist says that the godly person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. All that he does, he prospers. We love that word prosperity, don't we? This is the picture um, in this portion of a picture, picture of a person's life <laughs> that is full of assurance. It's full of nourishment. <coughs> you might write these words down. This, this might be worthwhile. This person's life is full of assurance because it's full of nourishment. It's full of healthy fruit. It's marked by steady growth. Assurance, nourishment, fruit, growth. So most of my life, I don't know about yours, most of my life kind of feels more like um, one step forward and two steps back. Anybody else agree with that feeling? One step forward, two steps back. When it comes to growth in our lives. But I think as you sit and as you, if you're following the Lord, if you trust it in Christ, then you're going to look back over your life and by God's sovereign grace and His sovereign work in your life, what you should see is more like a life that is more like two steps forward and one step back. You may have seasons that are marked differently. But in the overall trajectory, what you should see is two steps forward and one step back. This is what I would call the dance of a person's life that is planted by God. Here's the reason I say that. I say that because what God plants, He sustains. And what God sustains, He nourishes. And what God nourishes, He makes fruitful. And what God makes fruitful, what does He do? He causes it to grow. See, the godly person is, is blessed simply because God plants him. And, and, and according to this psalm, because God plants godly people, then godly people then enjoy God's word and they turn away from sin. It's a good portrait of a godly person's life who is blessed. The portrait of the wicked person is not so pretty, not so sexy at all. Because the psalmist says that the wicked person is miserable. Verses 4 through 6. You'll see that this person, the, the wicked person, this person's life is marked by inconsistency and corruption. It's the picture of a person who showers in filth and consumes poison. This person's life has the stench of the grave on it. 
This person's life has the look of a zombie on it. They're not anchored to godly principles. They're always being carried away by every wind and wave of ungodly demonic teaching. Listen, they don't stand for anything godly because they've fallen for everything that is ungodly. They're not known to be a luscious spiritual garden. They're known to be a spiritual wasteland. They're not known for spiritual health. They're known for spiritual disease. This is the portrait of a wicked person who is miserable. Tough picture. Love to just skip right on by that. Anybody else with me? Like to ignore that? Go back talking about being blessed, right? <clears throat> Why is this person miserable? <clears throat> Three reasons. Being carried away, falling away, rotten away. Being carried away, falling away, he's rotten away. The wicked person is not like the godly person whose life is marked by a resistance to sin and a love for God's word and the fruitfulness of the deep roots of a godly life. Psalmist says that the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, if you were in those days when they would thresh on the threshing floor, wheat would take the wheat, because I like to say it weird, with an H in front instead of behind. It would take the wheat, and it would be all gathered together after it was harvested off the stock. And you would have this mixture of the wheat seeds and a whole bunch of dust-like particles. And um, what they would do is they would grab up just big armloads of that. They'd be on this thing called the threshing floor, a big area. And they would, they would grab big armloads and they would throw it up in the air. And the wheat seeds, because they're heavy, they're full, they're plump, those wheat seeds would fall straight down onto the platform that you're standing on. But all of that loose stuff that's in there, all the broken up seeds, all the, all the chunks and pieces of ground up plant, that was real light. That's called chaff and it would blow away in the wind dust on the wind. So that's the picture here um, that would be brought to the psalmist's mind. Is there something very valuable like a seed of wheat being tossed up in the air along with all the loose stuff around it. The wheat seed would fall, but the chaff would blow away. What a miserable place to be. To be driven away from God to be blown away from God, to be carried away from God by the winds and the waves of everything unholy and ungodly, to be carried away from the goodness and the loving kindness and the protective presence of God like dust in the wind. This is a miserable place to be. Uh, to think that sin is more desirable than being in our Heavenly Father's presence to think untrue thoughts about God, to turn our backs on God, and to then hate His Word. That's the portrait of a wicked person who is miserable because he's being carried away from God. Second reason that a wicked person is miserable is because he's falling away. He's falling away. Verse 5, the psalmist says that the wicked person will not stand 
in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This person, this wicked person that the psalmist is describing, this person cannot stand for anything godly. Why? Because they've fallen for everything that is ungodly. They paint pictures of God with filthy paintbrushes. They cast Him as a judgmental and condemning God while they walk and stand and sit in judgment and condemnation of Him. Think about this. A created being sitting in judgment and condemnation of the One who created them. That's the picture. They judge God. They condemn God as unloving. As unfaithful, unkind, unfair. Why? Why would the wicked judge and condemn God this way? Because they love their sin more than they love Him, is the answer. They love their sin more than they love Him. They're falling away. They'll fall completely away at the judgment seat of Christ because sinners will not be counted among the family of the righteous. That's a heavy word. A wicked person is miserable because he's being carried away and because he's falling away. And number three, because he's rotting away. The wicked person is miserable because he's rotting away. The psalmist says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That word perish is a word for rotting. It's the picture of a, of a bowl of peaches that you set on your, on your table and, and they don't get cared for. And they sit there for weeks on end. I don't know if anybody's ever done this. It doesn't happen in my house because all the peaches get eaten too fast because they're juicy and they're good. But if this were to ever happen, what would happen is those things would rot from the inside out. It's the picture of what it means to perish. And the reason that the way of the wicked will perish is simply because God does not know the way of the wicked. You think about this. God does not know the way of the wicked or the lifestyle of the wicked. God does not have intimate relationship with wickedness. He can't. God only has an intimate relationship with righteousness because all that is good and righteous flows out of Him because He is the embodiment of goodness and righteousness. So to perish is to rot away unto death. Because there is no intimate connection with God, the sustainer of life. Charles Spurgeon um, has a beautiful commentary on the Psalms. And on this portion of the Psalm, as we come to the end of it, um, he said this. He said, sooner could a fish live on a tree than a wicked person could live in the paradise of heaven. I just want to say this again. I want to stick with you because I think I might come back to it. Sooner could a fish live on a tree than a wicked person could live in the paradise of heaven. The Scriptures teach us that the wages of sin is death. And the Scriptures teach us that all of us have fallen short. All of us are guilty of being carried away, falling away. All of us have lived in places of our lives where we've lived in rotting decay of our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is an eternally blessed life. 
And this blessed life that the psalmist describes is not the life of the wicked. Therefore, the wicked person is miserable because he's rotting away. In conclusion, it might surprise you that we would conclude that quickly. But I assure you the conclusion is lengthy. <laughs> Recap. I want you to think back again. I want you to have this picture. Contrast. The godly person is blessed. The wicked person is miserable. The godly person is simply blessed because he turns away from sin, enjoys God's word. God has planted him securely. The wicked person, on the other hand, is miserable because he's being carried away. It's falling away, rotting away unto death. Question that you might write down is, are you living the blessed life or are you living the miserable life? Which life are you living right now? The blessed life or the miserable life? Who do you want to be in 10 seconds to 10 years? What kind of a person do you want to be in the next few moments? What kind of character traits do you want to be known for from this point forward? What do you need to do right now to set the ship of your life sailing in that direction? As I said earlier, this kind of uh, assessment of your life, it should create a bit of a holy tension for you. If it doesn't create a bit of a holy tension for you, then it might mean that you are not hearing the voice of God this morning. And if you're in that place, that's a fearful place to be. So this should create some kind of a holy tension inside of you when you think about how you are right now and how you want to be in the next few moments to few years. The reality is that all of us have experienced the miserable life of wickedness. We've all walked in the counsel of the wicked. We've all stood in the way of sinners. We've all sat down in the seat of scoffers laughing at what God calls good or wrong. We all know what it's like to be carried away. We know what it's like to be falling away and rotting away because of our sinfulness and our rebellion. We know what it's like to run towards sin rather than to run away from sin. <coughs> we know what it's like <clears throat> to despise God's word. We know what it's like to grow bored with God's word instead of consistently enjoying his word. We know what it's like to be a weak sapling instead of a strong oak tree. We've all experienced the miserable life of our own wickedness. Every person who has ever lived has experienced the miserable life of his or her own wickedness. Saw picture of wickedness this week that surpassed other pictures of wickedness. There's no um, horror movie or no violent movie that you can watch that prepares you for the wickedness and the evil of humanity. Um, quite like what many of us or some of us saw this week. There was a lady in our neighborhood who was shot on her front porch. Some saw more than others. But until you see something like that in person, I, I, think, I think the level of understanding when it comes to wickedness um, may be in a different place. 
you begin to wrestle with questions. How could that happen? Where was God? You wrestle with questions in the midst of that face of wickedness. And then at some point, you have to come back to the truth that every one of us in this room is fully capable of that kind of wickedness and more. Every one of us is. Every person has experienced um, wickedness personally, creeping up from inside of us, not just around us, outside of us. All except for one. One person who never experienced wickedness from deep within. That person's name is Jesus. Jesus Christ never experienced the miserable life of his own wickedness. A Jesus, according to the commentators, really is the perfect embodiment of the godly person who experiences the perfectly blessed life of Psalm 1. You and I can never hope to attain this. Many Christians love to take this psalm and then preach it like, hey, you can walk out of here today and be an extremely blessed person if you do these three things. That's called works-based righteousness. And it'll send you straight to hell for thinking you did good enough. There's no grace in that. There's no comfort in that. I don't ever want to hear that message again, right? What I need to hear and what you need to hear is that we are despicable but by God's grace. But by God's grace. Jesus is the perfect man of Psalm 1. And yet, He willingly comes here to earth from His seat of righteousness. He walked among the wicked without becoming wicked. He sat in the seat of silence while scoffers laughed at Him. He took His stand against wickedness and sin on a cross that He created at the hands of men and women that He created. And all of that was this massive act of selfless sacrifice that absolutely abolished and leveled the playing field of life, didn't it? Wickedness deserves perfect justice. I remember sitting in my home on Wednesday night at 11.45 with our children after our neighborhood calmed down a bit. Still full of police officers and um, news reporter on the sidewalk in front of our home till late. I remember at 11.45 praying through Psalm 139. God, I know that there's nowhere that any of us can hide outside of your faithful, good, loving presence. There's no evil thing that has happened that you have not seen and that you were not present for. And yet at the same time, the psalmist in that psalm prays, take out your enemies. I prayed that psalm. Wickedness deserves perfect justice. Someone has to pay the price for the crime of wickedness and sin. The problem is that none of us could ever pay that price perfectly enough to get ourselves 
out of the mess we're in. But the only thing uh, that, that can erase all of the wickedness of your life, all the way from the white lies you told to the worst sin conceivable, leveled same in front of God because that sin is committed against a perfect and holy God. There's only one innocent person, only one completely innocent person, God. There's only one thing that could erase all of that wickedness, and that's the blessing of Christ's life. You see, here's the thing. A dirty paintbrushes don't clean up filthy paintings. Dirty paintbrushes don't clean up filthy paintings, but a spotless paintbrush, a clean paintbrush will. No matter how hard you and I try, we'll never become clean paintbrushes outside of the work of Christ at the cross. Jesus is a spotless paintbrush. We are the broken paintings. This blessed man of Psalm 1, Jesus himself, he gave his spotless, blessed life so that your wickedness could be washed clean. He died for that man that shot that woman this week just as much as he died for you and me. He endured the death penalty that you and I deserve. And he was raised again on the third day so that you and I can have the assurance of salvation. And he returned to heaven to the right hand of the Father so that you and I can trust in him as not only our Savior from the penalty of sin, but also as Lord and King of our lives. There is a passage in Psalm 72 that says, There will be a day when your enemies will lick the dirt. That's a heavy word, right? Enemies will lick the dirt. There's also something really comforting about that because every one of us has been wired with a deep thirst and hunger for justice. And yet the justice that you and I deserve was taken by Jesus at the cross. And he is our Lord and our Savior. And he promised to return one day so that you and I can have the hope of heaven. So the scriptures teach us that we can have the blessed life now. By grace through faith, you can be saved. And to be saved by God is to be truly blessed. We can be godly people who are planted by God. We can be godly people who enjoy God's word. We can be godly people who turn away from sin. And the way that you have that kind of blessed life now is to trust in Jesus' finished work cross of Calvary. The only thing that's going to stop you or I from trusting in Jesus is our own love for our own wickedness. It's only our love for our sin that would cause us to reject the free gift of eternal life. It's only our own wickedness and our love for sin that could cause any person to look upon the face of Christ as he dies a sinner's death on a tree that he created by the hands of people that he created in their place, in our place Jesus died. For us to look upon that picture and to reject it is only to love our sin and our wickedness more than him. 
to be carried away, to fall away, and to rot away into eternal death. All that is is the fruit of us loving our wickedness and our sin more than him. So the question, going back to the Spurgeon quote, is this. Are you a fish on a tree, or are you a tree that's planted by streams of living water? Are you a fish on a tree, or are you a tree planted by streams of living water? Because here's the thing. The person that is described here is a person that God plants. And the person that God plants, he sustains. It's a picture of a vine dresser in the Gospel of John. <coughs> the person that God plants, he sustains. And the person that God sustains, he nourishes. And the person that God nourishes, he makes fruitful. You and I are incapable of producing our own fruit. Only God could do that in us. The person that God makes fruitful, he causes to grow. So the question Will you trust in Christ? He's the blessed man of Psalm 1. Will, will you trust in him or will you continue in your wickedness which leads to misery? Are you a fish on a tree or are you a tree? Are you blessed or miserable? Let's pray. Father, uh, I, I leave us with, with a holy tension. Trusting in your faithfulness, that you are the only one who can do work inside of our hearts. And that only you can come and in the midst of that kind of a holy tension, do a work of salvation and sanctification. And I also know, Father, that that can only be done by the power of your spirit through the message of the cross. And so as we close... God, I pray that you would bring us to the foot of the cross. Help us to see our Savior dying as a blessed man, the only perfectly blessed man in place of wicked men and women. Help us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.